Look, if it's just isolated cases, extreme cases, then that's one thing. But when it's at a scale of, you know, more than 200,000 a year, in, in that's just in England and Wales. You know, we're talking about one in four pregnancies, right? So for every three babies born alive in England and Wales today, for every three babies born alive, one baby has been killed in the womb. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. Inspired, if you're new to us, is all about uh, sharing my friends with you, really, and friends from all sorts of different walks of life doing all sorts of different beautiful things. And uh, it looks at life in the nitty gritty, overcoming faith. Uh, hopefully, it does leave you inspired. You know, this week is going to be a bit different in that um, it's a very sensitive, meaty, heavy topic that we're going to be addressing, which is the topic of abortion. And I have got in a friend of mine called Dave Brennan. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Simon. Real privilege to be with you today. Yeah, it's great to have you, bro. And, and straight off the bat, I want to say that, you know, maybe, folks, you'll say, well, it's two, it's two men talking about this. And I, I could have got a, a lady, I mean, loads of ladies to, uh, to be in on this. But actually, you know, I wanted to, to be with a friend and uh, someone I really trust and someone I know in terms of their voice. And, and Dave, I think, is just characterized by, in what is a very delicate, sensitive, tender topic, he is characterized by real grace and gentleness. And you will see that as we talk about an issue that um, is extremely close to all of us, whether we know it or not, because the stats are that one in three ladies uh, has had an abortion, so we we all know more than that number of ladies, and and some some we might know someone's who's been through this horrific uh, life experience, or it's it's in secret, it's in the dark place, it's hidden, and so we want to talk about this uh, in a very gentle way, but also we want to talk about it in a real way because I have to say, Dave, I I genuinely think, as I was reflecting before getting you on, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon that touches on abortion, which which is mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, that's certainly been um, my experience. Almost everyone I know who's ever heard teaching on abortion in their own church, almost all of them, it's because what, someone from our ministry has done that teaching. Very, very rare to come across a Christian who's heard teaching in their church just in the ordinary course of things. So there's certainly a, a, yeah, a deafening silence on this issue in the church, even though, as you say, it's so prevalent Mm. And and it's such a significant issue, so close to the heart of God. Mm. Okay, well, let, let's backtrack a bit in terms of getting your story, your background. Uh, sort of tell us about your childhood. Well, I was really blessed to grow up in a, a Christian home. I'm one of four boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, people tend to say your poor mother at that point, um, <laughs> but no, we had a great childhood. Very blessed, um, grateful uh, for my parents who who brought us up in in, in a good, solid Bible believing church, and. Um, and actually, one of my earliest memories is asking my dad um, why Jesus died. I, I kind of it sensed there was something important here. It was a big deal. You hear a lot about it. But I, I didn't understand what it was all about. What was it for? And I, I must have been about four years old at the time. Um, and my dad responded, you know, don't worry, son, it will make sense in, in time. It, essentially, he didn't answer. Uh, and perhaps that was wisdom because it kind of it kept me asking and um and not long after that i remember when the when the penny dropped mm-hmm. and i realized jesus had died for me to rescue me uh from hell to to give me that access to to the father to be forgiven and um and even at a very very young age that made such an impression on me it, um i remember just yeah just crying and giving my life 
mm. to the Lord at that young age. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, you, you could say I've, I've always, there have been ups and downs, but I essentially I've never not, um, known, known God in my life really from some of my earliest memories. Um, yeah. you know, I've been blessed with, with knowing the Lord personally. So, um, that, that was, yeah, very early on. I was baptized, um, some years after that age of 11. And that was a very significant uh, experience for me. Um, and then, but I think for me, it was probably in my early teens when I really started reading the scriptures for myself. I would say that's when my faith really flourished. You know, right. that's where it really came to life as I just began to experience through reading the scripture for myself, just the just the, the ring of truth, you know, that the, that the scriptures have. And I think... Uh, I'd heard it said enough times, you know, the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, you know, you can't match them up. And and I, I wanted to see for myself. Yeah. And so I undertook to read the whole Bible. I, I did it in about a year and a half, probably age 13, 14. Wow. And I just came out of that blown away by the the continuity and the consistency of scripture and, and the characterization of God throughout. I was just so impressed by that. Mm -hmm. and um, And so kind of seeing it as it were firsthand, that just really strengthened my faith and and uh, and I think brought it to life. Any key later teens moments? Well, I, I was at a, an all boys uh, school from the age of 13. And, uh, you know, we were really blessed. It was, it was unusual that w within our year, at least by the end of our time there, a really good chunk of that year were, were Christians. You mm -hmm. know, um, the, the Bible study at one point, I remember had about, I think we figured it out. It's not like a fifth of the school year turning up to the Bible oh. study. It was it was really unusual. Where was this? That was Charterhouse. Okay. Um, so well, it was all boys from thirteen, then girls join it in the sixth form. Yeah. I think it's co-ed all the way through now. Carrie Gilbert Smith. Yeah. Yes, Carrie was there. Yeah, and I think you know Christian Hacking as well. Um, mm -hmm. So he, he we, we were the same year. So he, he's been a great brother in the Lord for, from those early days and. Um, so we, we we had a lot of encouragement in our year. There was a real sense of we want to um, bring the gospel to our peers. And uh, especially in our last couple of years, we were really able to sort of step out in evangelism um, within the school. And uh, I did a bit of preaching in chapel. And so, yeah, from, from, from my sort of late teens, I began to sort of dip my toe in the water of preaching. And, and you know, I felt real joy in that. The Lord blessed me in that. And I've always had a passion for teaching the Bible and for evangelism. And so those things sort of started to find their expression, I suppose, in my in my late teens and then into um, university years. You know, it very much sort of hit the ground um, running at, at university, wanting to uh, to bring the gospel to to to, to my new uh, peers there. Great. Uh, so you went to Oxford, and I, I I know you've talked about having a dark night of the soul. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, year year one of Oxford for me was just. I mean, it was just like extended adolescence. You know, it was it was <laughs> it was just fun. You know, it was there were no exams that counted for anything. I was part of a a singing group. We went touring the world, doing wow. concerts and stuff. It was great fun. It was all just great fun. And, and alongside that, you know, definitely there was a heart there for, you know, reaching the lost and got stuck in with the CU and all that kind of thing. But in year two, I kind of, hit, I, I hit some some pretty big walls. Um, and I actually remember 
talking with a friend, walking down a street uh, towards the end of my first year, it's almost like I knew it was coming because of my own folly. You know, this is because of my own my own pride. Right. Um, what essentially uh, coming towards the end of year one, going into year two, uh, got invited to take on a few different responsibilities and extra jobs. You know, so some in the CU, some. Uh, that's the Christian Union and some for this singing group. And I remember saying to this friend, I was walking down the street, I remember saying that I, I know I probably shouldn't say yes to all these things. That wouldn't really be wise. And yet I knew in my heart because of my pride, I was going to say yes to all of them. Right. And so I, and so I did. Um, and so all of a sudden year two, really busy, a lot of strains and stresses. Um, but on top of that, a few things kicking off, which I think really brought home to me just how small I was and and how unable I was to fix other people's problems. And uh, so a guy who's very, very good friend close to me was really struggling with alcoholism and I couldn't fix that. You know, I loved him. I wanted to help him, but I just, I just couldn't. It was, it was beyond my, my control. Yeah. And there was another friend in, in particular I was witnessing to bringing along to evangelistic um, events and so on. And I was really praying uh, for him and I just, there's a real mixture here, I guess, of, you know, of, of, of good godly desires, but then just also real human pride and, mm -hmm. and self-reliance. You know, I, 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 it was more than a, a kind of a hope or a prayer. I, I almost just had decided he was going to become a Christian that year. You know, it was just, it was going to happen. Yeah. And it didn't. And that really rocked me, actually. It really, to see someone hear the gospel inside and out and then turn around and say very very directly very clearly it's not for me mm -hmm. that really rocks me so all these things are coming a few th you know a few different situations that were clearly beyond my control uh, and on top of that i'd overcommitted. i was too busy and it was the first time in my life that i really lost my peace i i couldn't sleep at night sometimes literally the whole night just mm -hmm. not a wink of sleep all the way through the night and maybe the same again the following night and it was unusual for me to experience, yeah, just su such a lack of peace. And it's the first time I'd really faced head on some of the, well, I guess some of the the, the things I couldn't fix, but, but also my own, my own frailty. And in, in terms of my faith, it was the first time I really just had to cling on to what I knew to be true and what God's word said, even yeah. though I wasn't feeling it at all. Mm. wasn't feeling God's closeness at all. Didn't know if I'd ever get out of this hole. You know, had I aged whatever it was, 20, 21, have I, you know, have I just kind of lost it now? You know, am I sort of cracking mm. up? And yeah. and will I ever feel that peace, that closeness of the Lord again? Um, and yet, as is, I guess, the case for so many people, it was through that dark episode that I actually encounter the Lord in a whole new way. And I can genuinely say now I'm grateful for that time. Um, there, there, there was a, someone working with the Christian Union, I think a relay worker or a staff worker or something who who met to to pray with me and talk with me ostensibly about the, the CU responsibilities I was, I was you know, um, charged with. Mm -hmm. uh, but it became pretty clear to her that actually I, I needed some help. We were praying together. Um, and actually, this is the first time I'd ever experienced this, I think. But she said, look, I've got a, I've, I, I, I feel that I, I need to pray in tongues. Is that okay with mm -hmm. you? And I'd never experienced that before. I said, yeah, sure, go for it. And so she did. And then she said, now, one of us is going to have an interpretation. 
do you have one? And I said, actually, yeah, I, I, I think I know pretty clearly what the Lord is saying. And, and I, I believe what the Lord said in that moment was, um, you're not ready to come out of this. Hmm. And so there I was right in the pit, you know, obviously praying to come out, but the clear word was, you're not ready yet. It's like you're in the furnace and you need a bit longer in there because I'm not done with you yet. Hmm. And so the, there was still weeks or months of, of suffering there, but coming out of that time, I, I'm, I'm grateful that it really did humble me and it made me very fearful of ever trusting in my own strength again. Yeah. Uh, because I really thought, uh, yeah, the arrogance of a young man, I suppose, but I really thought I had no, there, there was no capacity, you know, I could just take on more and more and more. Um, but, but through that time, the Lord humbled me and I came out much more committed to prayer, much more reliant on his strength and his wisdom, not mm -hmm. wanting to go down a route that's just because I think it's a good idea. And actually, I'd say it was only then after that dark time that I actually began to see some of that evangelistic fruit and so on that I'd so desired to see. But it was only in the Lord's timing, once I'd learned in a new way to to rely on his strength and, and not on myself. So I'm genuinely grateful for that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I see that actually, in a sense, as the most formative time in my faith yeah. journey, because, you know, up until that point, yeah, I was believing, yeah, I was trusting it was real, but it was superficial compared to what it had to become through that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I, I, I in a different way, can look back at the, the a, a dark time and the toughest time in my life and say, thank you, Lord. Um, yeah, in all things, you work for the good. Mm. Those who love you, accord according to your purposes. Yeah, we claim mm. that promise. Um, so you left university, you um, you went into teaching. Anything to share from that time? Yeah, so I went uh, with a, an educational charity called Teach First, um, which places graduates in sort of tough schools or schools in poorer areas in, in cities and so on. So I was in West London um, teaching maths and yeah, I was grateful, grateful for, for, for the work, but it was, it was, it was during that time, um, I think that the, uh, the Lord really laid on my heart, first off calling into full-time gospel ministry, if we can use those terms. So uh, I was I was already helping out with a church plant in in Southwest London, and during that time, I felt a strong call to to go full time in in you know, preaching and evangelism and so on, mm -hmm. and uh, and that really sort of coincided with the church quite unusually for a church in the UK, um, feeling compelled to actually take on a full time evangelist, and and you don't tend to hear very many churches no. doing that, but uh, but essentially that's what they discerned was a real need uh, for 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 them as a, as a church leadership team and so that those those kind of desires met in the middle and so after just I just did the two years of teach first that's the kind of the base requirement and um after that went into um yeah I mean it, it, there was bible teaching you know helping new Christians with some discipleship stuff um but uh probably the mainstay of what I was doing was evangelism in particular amongst kids so I was going into schools doing assemblies lunchtime clubs after school clubs um doing holiday clubs and stuff like that so so it was it was weighted probably more towards sort of evangelism amongst kids which which i absolutely loved you know i just love how children can be so open to the yeah. gospel yeah um and it's just such a joy i mean some of my most precious memories just looking back at that time just running a holiday club seeing 100 kids from the community come along they get to hear the gospel and just singing these songs with the kids and seeing many of them 
make professions of faith was just a real, mm. real joy and a privilege. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for that for those years. Mm. And were you always pro-life? Yeah, good question. I, I, I would have said yes. Um, not that I ever gave the issue much thought for the first, I don't know, 20 years of my life. You know, as I said, I grew up in the church. It was a solid Bible teaching church. Generally people, if you asked them would say, well, yeah, we're pro-life. That's, that's our Christian position. But again, I don't think I ever heard teaching on it as such growing up in church, but enough, enough to know, well, and even just clearly from the science, it's obvious life begins at conception. You know, that that's so enough to know that that's when life begins and life is precious because God made it. I remember seeing, you know, some bits and bobs of pro-life literature around the house growing up, but it didn't, it didn't look like anything, you know, I, I didn't, do anything with that. And I think I was really unaware of just the scale of the issue. So I, mm -hmm. I guess had I given it any real thought, I would have assumed it was a it was only something that happened very rarely in very extreme situations. Um and so because it wasn't talked about very much, because I wasn't aware of the scale, um, it yeah, my my default sort of passive position was was pro-life, but it didn't it didn't look like anything until probably my but yeah, early early twenties. So what was the Catholic event that sort of kicked you into getting more actively involved? Yeah, I think there's a few things. So so first of all, I mentioned my friend Christian Hacking, who's, who's been, uh, we, we've known each other since 13, and we've actually sort of been on this journey a bit together, which, mm -hmm. which has been a blessing. And uh, I started speaking with him and with others um, in those early 20s, sort of that sort of age. Um, and, and we just kind of, we're telling each other, did you realize the scale of this issue? Like, did you know it was this many? Do you know, you know, and as we kind of talked about in particular the scale, I think that really changed the way we saw the whole issue because look, if it's just isolated cases, extreme cases, then that's one thing. But when it's at a scale of, you know, more than 200,000 a year in, in that's just in England and Wales, you know, we're talking about one in four pregnancies, right? So for every three babies born alive in England and Wales today, for every three babies born alive, one baby has been killed in the womb. Wow. Like when, when we kind of started to get our heads around these statistics, it was just like scales falling from our eyes. And we said, oh, hang on, this, this is huge. Why, why is no one talking about this? Why is no one doing anything about this? And and so the scale of the issue, but also the depth of the silence, you know, the fact that, well, where is the church on this? It kind of brought us to this conclusion. Um, and uh, during this time as well, got married and my wife's very much on this journey as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it brought us to the conclusion that this is the great sort of blind spot of our day. This is the great injustice that's actually accepted and tolerated yeah. Um, in our day, this is the historic one. This is the biggie, you know? And I remember watching a film with my wife, I think it's called The Help. It's about slavery in, in the United States. And the film doesn't talk about abortion at all. It's, it's just about slavery. But having watched the whole film, I remember my wife and I turned to each other and we both just said at the same time, pretty much abortion. You know, what that was then, abortion is now. The thing we're going to be... <clears throat> excuse me, the thing we're going to be um, watching films about in 50 years time, how on earth did we tolerate that? How on earth did people think that was okay? It's yeah. going to be, it's going to be this, it's going to be abortion. 
And so we began to see this as, uh, if you like, the, the slave trade of our day or the apartheid of our day. This is the big injustice, which one day we'll turn around and say, how did we put up with that? Mm. So did you start Brefos? So what happened then was, uh, and that, that was the one big sort of ca ca catalyst. I think the other big catalyst together with, well, scriptures really reinforcing this, you know, so, you know, reading through scripture and seeing the Lord's heart for the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow, and, and his expectation that we positively take up their cause. You know, we're not just caused, uh, called to uh, abstain from acts of evil, you know, we're called to to do good. Yeah. So so the, the kind of the scriptures were kind of alongside us very much in this journey. But the other major catalyst, I think, was, you know, still to that point, I had no idea what you could do with that. You know, okay, there's an issue here. We're called to do something. But I, I guess I had no concept of what meaningful pro-life activism could be. So so what happened was, um, and actually, again, Christian was was just a few months ahead of me in this because Christian went off to Ireland um, when the, the referendum was brewing. So in Ireland, the, the, the human rights of the unborn child were actually enshrined in the constitution until very mm -hmm. recently. Right. And there was a referendum to actually repeal that. And Christian went over there to see some friends and to kind of help out with the cause there to try and um, do some, do some pro-life work on, on that front. And he came back having met some guys from CBR. So CBR is the Centre for Bioethical Reform and there are CBRs all over the world, um, different countries. We've got one here, CBR UK. And so Christian kind of all of a sudden got got really involved in CBR and I, I had no idea about who they were, what they did. But, but to me, it, it sounded to me like sort of protest work and picketing and sort of, to be honest, I didn't really like the sound of it. I thought... Mm you know, okay, this might be well-intentioned, but is this really doing any good? You know, placarding. I, I, I had a kind of pretty negative stereotype in my mind. Yeah, which most people would, wouldn't they? Well, yes, I think that's how, how the media certainly has, has trained us to think of mm. pro-life activism, uh, that it has to be aggressive and sort of fruitless and, and you know, unloving. And yeah. really interesting that even at that stage, after years of, of journeying down this route, Still at that point, even my only concept of pro-life work was negative. Yeah. So anyway, I heard that Christian was going to be out on the streets doing something with CBR. And and to be honest, I basically went out with half a mind to to pull him off the streets. I thought, I need to go see what my friend's got himself embroiled in here. And mm. if it is what I think it is, I'm going to have to sort of take him aside and look, say, brother, I don't think this is the best way to go about things. But what actually happened was when I arrived on the scene... I found the work they were doing so compelling and so right um, that I actually got involved straight away there and then on the day and and basically haven't looked back. So that, that was the other big catalyst that got me got me involved. And, and, and the work I'm talking about here is public education work. So it's showing people the reality. You see, abortion thrives on the dark. Mm. It, it thrives because people are deceived as to what it really is. Even the women, the girls who are who are pregnant and go to their doctor or whatever, but they're, they're not shown the reality of the life in their womb. Mm -hmm. They're not told the facts of what abortion is going to do to their baby and even to them. So the whole thing thrives on being hidden. 
And so what, what CBR UK does, and this is based on the history of successful social reform, uh, is a very, very important principle that injustice has to be exposed. You know, you can't end an injustice by covering it up. You have to expose it. And so we say, look, we're not protesting abortion. We're actually just showing what it is. Right. And when seen uh, for what it is, abortion actually protests itself. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're, we're doing. We're showing the, the reality of life in the womb and all its majesty. We're also showing visually what, what the victim of an abortion actually looks like, what, what happens to the baby. And that combination of, of imagery together with just talking to people very peacefully if they want to talk and just asking, look, what do you think about this? What do you think about abortion? I found that approach very truth-centered, very respectful, and very effective. And, and you know, we do see minds changed on abortion. So it was it was seeing that work and experiencing that work that all of a sudden gave me a real hope uh, and a way to actually do something that was that was fruitful. So it was that's actually what started the journey towards um, establishing Brefos as a project of CBR UK. So so Brefos is our sort of church project within okay. CBR UK. Uh, go on, tell us more about Brefos then. So Brefos, um, the, the word Brefos is a New Testament Greek word, uh, and it just means baby or infant. And um, it just kind of came to me uh, at home as, as we were kind of starting this off and praying about it and so on. This word just kind of leapt out of me, uh, leapt out to me because um, it, in, for example, Luke chapter one, you've got John the Baptist leaping mm-hmm. for joy in the womb. So he's an yeah. unborn child. Uh, he's in the womb about six months. Uh, still, that's about the abortion limit in the UK. For any reason, you can have an abortion up to about six months. So John the Baptist is there leaping for joy in the womb, and he's described with this Greek word brephos, which just means a baby or an infant. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about this word is that in the next chapter, Luke chapter 2, the same word brephos is used to describe the Lord Jesus as a newborn baby mm-hmm. yeah. uh, lying in the manger. You know, you'll find the babe wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. So, so you've got the same word used of unborn babies and newborn babies. So before birth, after birth, because in God's eyes, there's no distinction that the baby has the same value before and after birth. And so that word really, for me, encapsulated God's perspective on abortion, which needs to be our perspective as the church. And so that's really the heart of, of the Brefos Project. It's, it's helping the church to see this issue as God sees it. And so um, fundamentally, it's a teaching ministry because as, as we mentioned earlier, so few churches have had any teaching on abortion. And so we're really trying to help churches to teach, to equip the saints, works of service, to help people to understand this issue aright and to respond in action. Because the work of CBR UK was very much facing the public, seeking to change minds uh, on abortion. But what we kind of realized was where we might have hoped that the church would be obviously with us in this, we've actually found um, they're not. Sometimes it's just ignorance. Sometimes there's even opposition. And so it was really necessary to approach the church directly head on and say, look, we've got to look at this biblically and um, and align ourselves with God's heart on this issue. Mm-hmm. Hi, folks. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, there are a few associated costs with it. So if you're enjoying it, if you really 
value it each week as I know a number of you do I'd love it if any of you wanted to consider just pledging I know two quid a month or five quid a month anything that all of it goes obviously to our work working amongst the poorest of the poor so that would be greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you wanted to help so into the ministry in that way all right let's get back to the podcast god bless you So, um, what happens uh, when someone chooses to have an abortion? Well, in this country, if you choose to have an abortion, you 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 will get your abortion. So that ostensibly, there's this kind of two doctors have to sign it off. It has to, you know, according to the Abortion Act, there's got to be a reason and so on. But uh, we all know that. Um, that's just a kind of formality uh, and no one is ever denied an abortion. So we do have abortion on demand in the UK. You mm-hmm. never hear of anyone being denied an abortion. Um, I ought to interject here though, when we say what happens when a woman chooses to have an abortion, many, many women are acting under at least some degree of coercion or pressure. Yeah. And so we, we, we know story after story. I mean, we hear this almost on a weekly basis. You know, um, a woman wants to have the baby but her boyfriend or partner, whatever, or her parents are putting this pressure on her saying, look, it's not the right time. This is not what we want. So in many cases, it's been billed as this empowering, you know, the autonomous modern woman, it's her choice. In many cases, it's really not as simple as that. There's, there's coercion, there's pressure, there's misinformation. But, but all that to say, when she finally consents or or at least is perceived to consent to an abortion, what will happen generally nowadays in England and Wales, that about 85% of abortions are what we call medical abortions, pills by post, telemedicine. These are some of the terms you might have heard applied to it. But essentially what happens is, and this is really, this has been accelerated since the pandemic, is um, instead of going into a clinic and in fact, she doesn't even have to go into a clinic for, for the initial consultation. All of this can be on the phone. You mm-hmm. can essentially order your abortion on the phone today. Um, what will happen is within a few days, uh, two pills are going to arrive in the post. Right. And the first pill um, essentially cuts off the uh, supplies to the unborn child. So o- oxygen and nutrients so essentially the, the, the baby is, is starved, is suffocated. This is for early, this is for sort of first trimester mm-hmm. abortion, so up to about 12 weeks. So the baby is essentially starved and suffocated and then, and, and dies normally at that stage. And then the second pill is, is taken a day or so later and that causes the baby to be um, expelled. Um, and that's generally happening at home. Women are often on their own it can be very painful. There have been literally thousands since the pandemic, there have been thousands and thousands of, of complications. Women having to go to hospital because it's, it's not kind of completed. Um, so it's very dangerous and unpleasant for, for women to say the least. Um, but of course for the, for the baby, you know, it, it almost always ends in, in the death of the baby. Now I say almost always because there is mercifully, um, a, a sort of 
the possibility of saving the life of the baby even after that first pill has been taken. The first pill essentially uh, acts to stop the progesterone that, that, that is encouraging the normal development of the pregnancy. And there is quite simply a pill that can be taken which, which reverses that, so restores the progesterone at that stage and um in many cases that saves the baby and and there have been some wonderful stories over the last few years of uh of women uh taking these abortion reversal pills and and their babies are alive today so um people don't all know about that so i just want to mention that there is even if you've taken the first pill there is still actually hope and and there's a real chance that the baby can still be saved so that's what that's what's generally happening uh, when a woman chooses to have an abortion in England and Wales, but you've also got still about 15% of abortions are what we call surgical abortions. And this is where this is generally for later stage, but can also happen in first trimester, where depending on the size of the baby and the, the sort of uh, the toughness of, of, of the baby, you're, you're looking at the use of metal tools. Um, and forgive me, it's it's not pleasant to to describe, but what we're talking about here is the is the cutting up of the baby, literally uh, with with forceps pulling limb from limb, the baby. The, the baby is alive. The baby doesn't give isn't given anaesthetic, but essentially the baby is is dismembered, alive. The skull is crushed to get it out, mm-hmm. and piece by piece the baby is pulled out, and those pieces are rearranged on a table to make sure that all the pieces are there. Um, so that there isn't risk of infection. And then for much later term, where the baby's too big to even do that, um, generally it's a, it's a lethal injection uh, to the heart of the baby, and then the baby is delivered whole, um, and that, uh, but dead. And that whole process can take even days, you know, when it's late term abortion. So th- th- these, are the, these are the procedures which are hidden underneath euphemisms such as access to healthcare and yeah. reproductive justice and a right to choose. You know, th- these these terms which mean very little and sound really quite innocuous. The reality is we're talking about a, an act of, of violence, which which is being paid for by the NHS budget. It, it, it's billed as healthcare, but, uh, but nothing could be further from the truth. So that, that's, what, that's what abortion really is it's so it's so heavy and distressing and traumatizing even to sort of talk about and you know i've I've quoted one in three women having had an abortion by the age of 25 in this nation so i mean so many people listening we all all know people that have been involved in this i mean pastorally can you give a, a pastoral response to how you deal with these precious ladies that have already suffered so much and I mean, the last thing they need is shame and guilt and condemnation. How, how do you respond? Yeah, absolutely. As you say, one in one in three have had at least one abortion by the age of forty-five. That's that's in England and Wales. And so, I'm really conscious, especially when I go to speak in churches, mm. because the the stats are not that different in the church. So, it's it's really prevalent, and I think a number of things. I think first of all. There's, I think we need to do a bit of inner work, you know, in ourselves. Do we do we really believe the gospel is big enough for this? Mm-hmm. And if we really do believe the gospel's big enough for this, then 
that should empower us and move us not to avoid this issue as if the gospel isn't big enough, Mm. but that should move us to confidently and yes, carefully and, 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 you know, we don't want to be charging in there. We don't want to be insensitive, but the gospel really is big enough. The cross really is powerful enough for this. The shed blood of Jesus really is effective enough that we can approach this. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for many people, the, the very reason that they're, they're not hearing about this in church, the reason many pastors aren't teaching about it is, I think, for this, for this reason, there's this fear. Yeah. Well, these, these dear women have already suffered so much. I don't want to add to their suffering by talking about something so painful. And I get that. Mm. But what's really interesting is it's so often those very women who come up to me afterwards on a Sunday and say, thank you so much for addressing this. I had an abortion 50 years ago and I've never told anyone. Yeah. Uh, and these, these are real stories. You know, another one, uh, again, she had an abortion. It was probably 40, 50 years ago. She was in her 60s or 70s. And she said, every 16-year-old girl in the country needs to see that, mm. you know, the presentation I'd just given. So ironically, it's often the very women we're seeking to protect or we're fearful of, of upsetting or damaging or whatever. It's those women who actually desperately need to hear the gospel brought to bear on this issue. Because, you know, I think if we don't speak about it, we express one of two things. We either say, look, God doesn't really care about this issue. It's not a big issue. There's nothing to see here. Mm. And that doesn't help those women because they know it's a big issue. They've been there. And it's and it's affecting them, and they're in many cases they're they're stuck in this kind of cycle of shame and silence, and they feel isolated, and they're not having the gospel ministered to them in that area. So the silence can kind of just leave them there. So it, it can suggest, well, you know, this isn't a big issue, or it suggests, you know, this is such a big issue that we we've got nothing we can do for you. You know, this is be you're beyond help, you're beyond the reach. You know, and, and again, that's not true no. because the gospel is big enough. So difficult as it can seem, I, I passionately believe that addressing this in the light of scripture is the most loving thing we can do uh, for these for these women uh, and men who, who are affected by abortion. And so I think we need to help people to see, look, this is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's important because that validates their what what they intuitively know and what Mm -hmm. they experienced that this was a massive deal this has really affected them you know we know women who you know after abortion they've fallen into addictions or their relationships have broken down you know it it affects people in so many ways and yet what society is saying to them is you're fine you did the right thing Mm -hmm. you know that was the right choice for you they're not given permission to be struggling by society so i think we've got to give them that permission to grieve actually yeah and to say this i i lost my baby you know it's a very complicated thing emotionally because yeah there's the moral element and there's the responsibility which is not all on the women there's the partner there are the parents there's a doctor you know there's a whole web of people you know it's not just a woman's choice but emotionally you've got the fact that that was my baby and women do need to be given an opportunity to grieve apart from anything else and 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 
talking about it helps. Mm. So we, we need to acknowledge the gravity, but at the same time, we need to um, we need to boldly proclaim that in another sense, this is no bigger deal than any other sin. You know, this is not the unforgivable sin. This is not beyond the pale. This is not beyond the reach of the grace of God. Mm. But again, when we don't talk about it, we kind of suggest that it is. So as we as we open up the issue, and I, I love I, I love to turn to the um you know the interchange between Jesus and and the thief on the cross next to him. I just love that interchange because what you have there is a thief who by his own admission he's there because he deserves to be yeah. he can do absolutely nothing to change his past he can't do anything to pay back what he owed or anything like that yeah all he can do is look to jesus and that's all any of us can do yeah that's all i can do you know regardless of whether we've had an abortion or not, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners in, mm. in need of forgiveness before a holy God. And so abortion is not some, you know, special case where it doesn't it doesn't fit into that. No, it does, because mm. actually I'm in no position to to look down on anyone mm. and nor is anyone else. We're all in the same boat. Yeah. And gloriously, Jesus never turned away any who who came to him? So we 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 do have a gospel big enough for this, mm. and and I I can happily say from experience that whilst it may not be easy to open up this issue in churches, it is so often those very women uh, who are grateful, yeah. um, and in fact, sadly, I even know of many many women who have had abortions and they're in their churches. And they're asking people to talk about abortion and they're mm. asking their leaders, please, can we have some teaching on abortion? Mm. And, and, and the answer is still coming back, no. So actually sometimes it's those people who are crying out for, for this issue to be engaged and, um, and, and God's grace is big enough and the Holy Spirit is powerful enough and, and there is healing, but healing comes through addressing it, not through avoiding it yeah so one one piece that i'd love you to speak into is that i mean a lot of people i mean if you just think it's a clinical process it's dealt with um i say just there'll still be wounds and uh stuff to deal with but if you have a if your conscience is pricked if you're doing it with serious doubts if you have a faith system, you believe in God, uh, and so you recognize the spiritual aspect of this uh, as well as the moral, mm. then, uh, I mean, I know many, many precious ladies will just um, bury this. It's such a deep wound. It's not to be addressed at all. It can't be revisited. Let's just move on. And and yet, is, is there is there... A heavy sort of spiritual cost to that and yeah can you, can you see what i'm saying yeah i think so yeah yeah you got the, the sort of moral aspect but then if we can make the distinction the spiritual and i think we do we do need to understand that abortion itself is a deeply spiritual act yeah and and whether people are conscious of it as that whether they mean it in that way it is it is because what's going on here is 
we live in a very religious society. Actually, we, we live, we might call it a secular society, but the reality is people always worship something. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, you could say the gods of our age are, you know, the gods of, of pleasure, of success, perhaps quite simply the god of self, the god yeah. of autonomy. You know, it's mm. me, it's my way. I do what's right for, for number one. And it will vary hugely from case to case, but the reality is what's, what's going on spiritually in an abortion is it is actually an act of sacrifice. That what's, what's going on is the baby is being sacrificed for a certain um, outcome, you know, to, to achieve something, to avoid something, to maintain something, to escape something. And so to these idols, these Monday idols, you know, it, in some cases it may be as simple as, and I, and again, these, these are real life stories. Um, you know, because of my career, I wanted to have a baby next year, not this year. Mm. So I'm having, I'm having an abortion. Um, or it could be, um, for, for financial reasons, or it could be to, um, you know, to, to, to hide the fact that there's been extramarital sex, you know, so it's reputation. So th there are all sorts of gods and idols to which these babies may be sacrificed, but the fundamental reality, spiritually speaking, is it is an act of sacrifice. And, and we know from scripture that an idol is nothing in the world, but, but really when we participate in, in sacrifice to idols, that's actually being given to demons. It's actually being offered up to demons. And, and so there, there is a satanic root to child sacrifice, whatever form it takes, whether that's, you know, like we read in the Old Testament, ancient Near East, babies being offered into the fire to Molech, um, whether it's forms of infanticide we read about in Greco-Roman culture, or today with abortion in our land. But these are just different forms, but spiritually the essence is the same again whether or not people are aware of that mm -hmm. so what happens in an abortion is that there is that deeply spiritual element that that child has been sacrificed and the, i know these are very strong terms but yeah, this is seriously. going on and so i think that needs to be acknowledged and again ministered to um because when we make a sacrifice um it it, it's like it's like an exchange you know it it, it when when uh, in in pagan religions when people sacrifice to you know the sun god or 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 a god of the, their crops or whatever the, the point is it's an exchange you give up something precious and you get in return what it is you're after mm -hmm. um but in doing so you kind of you kind of hand yourself over to some degree spiritually there's a kind of allegiance there and you're empowering that that demonic sort of stronghold so i don't profess to understand all of this stuff very well but what i can see in scripture and what i can see, you know understand from people's testimonies is that there's a lot going on here spiritually mm. and i think that needs ministry perhaps in maybe not in all cases but in in many cases there may be a need of of kind of deliverance ministry Mm. Um, and again, the, you know, Satan loves to keep people locked up. He yeah. loves to keep people in the dark. Don't talk about this. Don't deal with this. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that these demons hate more than anything else is to have the light shone. Mm. 
Mm. And so when we speak about it, when we bring scriptures to bear, when we start praying into it, their time really is up. Yeah. But when we but when we don't do those things, I think we do these ladies a great disservice because whether, again, whether people are able to identify this, understand it or not, those spiritual, those sort of strongholds are going to be having an impact in their life um, to varying degrees. You know, in, in some instances, what you'll notice at a surface level is, okay, there's marital difficulty there hmm. and you don't realize it's actually linked to a past abortion. Yeah. In, in other instances, there may be a, an issue bonding with your other children and you don't realize it's because there's a past abortion there. So th th there's a whole world of, of impact that there can be um, in that kind of spiritual realm. And I think yet again, it's, it's a reason we need the whole church to engage on this because look, you know, we've got in the church, the Lord has given pastors, you know, teachers, you know, evangelists, apostles, prophets, we've all got different gifts and we need all the gifts to come to bear on this issue because it's such a big issue that yeah. requires pastoral care. It requires, you know, people with the gift of discerning between spirits and whatever else to minister powerfully um, to these dear sisters and brothers in the Lord who who are not yet um, healed um, in this area. Mm. Um, I mean, this we're coming to an end and uh, this is for me a podcast like none other i mean inspired normally is telling stories of triumphant faith overcoming some really messy stuff but usually you end up feeling buzzing um that i knew i wouldn't feel buzzing at the end of this time it's mm. almost like uh not being on the council's chair but it's like it's unpacking some really heavy stuff um i want to close out effectively can i, can I sort of, can I sort of trust you to sort of lead us out back into the world as we end this podcast with with what you would want to say to you know it's a heavy topic but instill us with with hope of of how we can live in the light of this sure thank you so i just want to encourage people you know whether this is something that's affected you personally or someone you know or whether it's it, it's not on your radar at all, it just, you know, it's not something that that you're aware of in your own life or those around you. I just want to encourage us to have the 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 confidence in the gospel mm. that we need to have that will give us the the hope to engage. You know, I think it's very difficult to engage darkness if you don't know the light that's at the end of the tunnel. If you don't know that actually. God is sovereign. Um, God is going to, you know, I love in, in the Psalms, you know, it says he, he, you know, he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. You know, God is going to bring an end to this, to this great injustice that one day there will be no abortion. We know that for sure. Mm. So the outcome is secure at, at the sort of, you know, the meta narrative scale but but also in every individual story the gospel is is enough and it's so wonderful uh, i have the privilege of knowing some some women for example who've been through abortion and they've been through healing and they're totally restored and they are full of the joy of the lord and they help others to find that same healing so actually just very specifically i'd love to just uh, point anyone who's had an abortion and needs help. Can I just point out a, a sister ministry of ours called Post-Abortion Support for Everyone? That's P-A-S-E. And you can find them online. Um, 
postablesupport.com. You can go on Facebook and find the group there and message them there. And uh, in fact, people do get in touch from all around the world. We're based here in the UK, but we have, uh, in fact, we've had a lot of ladies from from Africa get in touch um, Mm. through that. And uh, Pauline, who heads that up, just loves to help women to find that same healing and and freedom in Christ that she has found. So if, if abortion has affected you, please get in touch with Pace. Great. But then for others for whom it's not that sort of, you haven't got that personal backstory, I would just really encourage you to see that this issue does have to do with us all. You know, I think it's very easy to think, well, you know, I'm not a woman or, well, I've not had an abortion or whatever, or, or even, well, I would never have an abortion. So that that's the end of it. I think scripture compels us to see that actually this is, we, we are our brother's keeper, actually. Mm. Yeah. And we are commanded to be a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. And actually that's a real privilege. It's a real privilege to stand with Christ, sharing his sufferings as we seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I want to encourage people to see this, this is to do with us. And again, just a specific link for people. If you go to cbruk.org slash yeah join so cbruk.org slash join that's j-o-i-n then um again wherever you are in the world particularly here in the uk you can get connected to other people in your area who've got a heart for this we'll get you all the training the resources everything you need um and and we can get you active you know be that one hour a month or one day a week we've got all sorts of activities you can get involved with where you can meaningfully um, make a difference and be that voice for the voices. And I just encourage people to think, you know, when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're all going to have to stand there, give an account for how what we did in the body, good or bad. What do you want to be able to say then about what you were doing now uh, for those who, who who just simply cannot speak for themselves? And it's a grace that the Lord is is in a sense delayed His return long enough for people to hear this message and to count the cost and say, yeah, I want to be not just on the right side of history, but I want to be in the Lord's will. Mm. So that on that day, I can say by his grace, I did what I could for those who couldn't speak for themselves. Mm. Dave, Brennan, um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Simon, for, for having me on. God bless you. Listen, guys, I, I want to close in prayer. Uh, Father God, it has been very heavy for some of us. We will be weeping even listening to this because it's it's our own lives or it's a loved one very close. And I pray that you'll minister right now to each and every one of us and you'll comfort us so that we can be comforters to others. And Lord, will you use this podcast to minister grace and to stir your body for an appropriate response, Lord God, as to what is happening on our watch. We weep with those who weep, and uh, yeah, may your church communicate with the right voice and uh, speaking the truth and love. May we see your kingdom come more and more in this area, and bless, bless Brefos and the CBR UK guys and everyone working this field. In Jesus' name, Amen. Great, thanks again, Dave. Listen. Folks, uh, this is a very important subject, an important podcast to, to share with with the right people. So I invite you to pass that on. Uh, love it if you could give us um, a good review 
on Spotify, iTunes. It just means more people get to come across it. Uh, I will put various websites uh, for you to be in touch with Dave on Refos CBR UK uh, Pace, um, and uh, so you can be in touch with him. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest, and I pray that you have a good week. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right, toodaloo.